Hey folks, before we get started, wanted to discuss our brand new sponsor here at the Brian Nichols Show. And it's one you are familiar with because it is the one and only We Are Libertarians Network. But I have a little bit of a surprise. Yes, we have merch. The We Are Libertarians store is alive and active and it can be found in the show notes. And guys, I, oh my goodness, we have some fantastic um, some fantastic shirts. For, uh, so we have some We Are Libertarian shirts, uh, both with the new logo um, that was re- recently designed, but also the the uh, the old OG logo as well with the Statue of Liberty um, and the sunburst. Uh, we also have uh, I, uh, I Heart Roads, or I Heart My Roads, uh, My Roads. Um, yours truly, the Brian Nichols Show. We have our brand new, super, super schmexy Brian Nichols Show logo there on a, a couple of shirts. Um, we have polos, we have uh, posters, we have magnets, we have masks. Masks are pretty much mandatory everywhere. If you need a mask, get a Brian Nichols Show mask or a We Are Libertarians mask. You need a coffee cup or a, a knit beanie. I call them a toque up in northern New York, but everybody says I'm an idiot because I say toque and not beanie. Whatever. But you can get that too. And it does say We Are Libertarians, of course. Um, Gingerarchy has uh, some uh, some great shirts there as well. Another one of our fantastic shows. So click the link in the show notes. Support the We Are Libertarians store, but support your friends here at We Are Libertarians by rocking some awesome merch. So, with that, on to the show. Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes, like, homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest-growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Exclusive alert! That's right! Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Breaking news! Exclusive! Read all about it! I have the first ever interview, that's right, the first ever interview of the new chair for the Libertarian Party, and you are here to listen to said interview, and that is with one Joseph Bishop Henchman. Now, Joe joins the show, yes, because as I mentioned, he is the new chair of the Libertarian Party, and I want to go ahead and have a chance to have a conversation with Joe to uh, to learn more, number one, about, um, obviously, his political career, uh, but discuss, obviously, the elephant in the room. He is now the chair of the Libertarian Party. Yours truly did not necessarily have the greatest relationship with uh, the outgoing chair, Uh, but I think this is a great chance for Joe to have kind of a restart, number one, but also a chance to differentiate himself, and also a chance to uh, really give you guys the opportunity to learn who he is without any filter or any, you know, misconceptions, you know, here, we get to hear from Joe directly, Um, so it's a great chance to kind of learn his vision for the party, um, but also kind of what to expect over the next two years um, with a Joseph Bishop Henchman uh, tenure as chair of the Libertarian Party. So, without further ado, on to the show, Joe Bishop Henchman here on the Brian Nichols Show. Great to be with you. How are you? I'm doing well, and I'm I'm sorry, Joe. I got an elephant in the room. During okay. campaign season, okay, I only had one candidate on my show, and that was one Todd Hagopian. That was back in, oh my goodness, January, March? I, I honestly don't remember when it was because it was so far back, it seems. Um, anything before COVID feels like a year before. Um, I know, yeah. So I didn't have anybody besides Todd in my show, and originally I, I actually had endorsed Todd, um, and I really loved the vision that Todd had, and it was really one of professionalizing the parties. So 
Um, yep. you know, with that being said, after a few weeks of, of, you know, deliberating, Todd decided to uh, drop out and instead just, uh, perf- uh, really pursue something in more of a smaller entry level view. I think he's actually going for, um, is it school board or something out in, is it? He's, he's running for school board in, uh, in Oklahoma. And he's, I believe he's also on the Oklahoma party executive committee and a very, uh, contributing a lot there from what I understand. Yeah. And, and Todd's doing phenomenal out there. But after that, I mean, I, I kind of felt like, okay, well, What's next? Because it really was coming down to it was going to be whoever was placing Star Wars. I know at that time, I think you were dabbling in possibly announcing. Um, and then also Josh, Josh Smith. And Josh obviously had a run back in 2018 against Nick, a very contentious, uh, you know, chairmanship election. So with that, I kind of I didn't really have, a, a, you know, a say in terms of like having an opinion one way or another. I, I mean, I like you a lot and I like Ethan a lot and I, I like what you guys have to offer, but I also didn't want let to like get in the way of anything. So I said, you know what, for this entire cycle, I'm going to sit back. I'm just going to let you guys talk and I'm going to see, you know, how the issues go. And, and silently, I was always kind of, you know, saying, please, Joe, win. And you did. And with that, <laughs> I, I don't think it's necessarily, uh, you know, uh, anything bad to say about Josh, but more so that really the, the party was looking for a direction to head in right now. Right. And, and I think yeah. the outgoing chair has definitely left some some feathers ruffled. And I think there's a lot of people who are looking at you, sadly, as almost a continuation of Chairman Starworks. So here's what I wanted to do, Joe, because I think you deserve well, that's, that's what they that's what the other side tried to paint me as. Exactly. And that's what that's what I wanted to do is give you a fair shake here, right? So this is what I want to do is start the show. I think it's a great chance for you, number one, to introduce yourself to the audience. Now, obviously, you've been a part of the, the We Are Libertarians family for you know quite a while. And and a lot of people who listen to the show know who you are, but I have an audience that's far beyond the libertarian, um, you know, sure. We Are Libertarians network. And actually there's a lot of folks, Joe, who's been reaching out to me who are, you know, from both the left and the right. And they're saying right now I'm actually kind of considering a third party. And I yeah. think it's a great chance now for them to, I guess, meet our, our party chair and actually hear what your vision for not only the Libertarian Party is, but your vision for a Libertarian future. Because I think maybe there's a, there's a misconception as to, number one, what it means to be a Libertarian, but number two, what the goal of the Libertarian Party is. So with that being said, Joe Bishop Hetman, <laughs> who the heck are you? You're our new chair. And let's kind of go through your, your pathway to liberty and what brought you to uh, to where you are as our chairman and also kind of establishing your, your if you will, your your throne as the, uh, the head of the Libertarian Party going forward. Oh, that's a great lead up, Brian. Um, <laughs> from goodness. Uh, Ethan will appreciate that. He likes old furniture. Uh, <laughs> the, no, I mean, I've been a libertarian, you know, since, since I was a kid. Um, I came across it first as, uh, at the San Diego County Fair. They had a booth there with the Nolan chart and any, any longtime libertarian knows what the Nolan chart is. It's a little, how do you become a libertarian, uh, question thing and it, it or, or, what are you politically? And it puts you on a chart there. And uh, I came up as libertarian and my family is or was because they're all libertarians now. But at the time they were kind of uh, moderate Democrats um, and growing up uh, and growing up in San Diego, which is kind of modestly conservative, mm-hmm. but pro-immigrant, um, pro-pre-trade. Um, that, that's just kind of our, our mindset there. And fiscally conservative, and and certainly very right. tolerant of, of a lot of people. So that that's that was kind of my upbringing. Um, came across it at, at the county fair and really liked what I heard, and I became a bit of a rabble rouser uh, with the, the 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 stuff that made sense to me. Uh, the, the new you know advancing freedom. So uh, in '96, that was the year uh, we ran Harry Brown and Joe Jorgensen. Uh, for president and vice president. And Joe Jorgensen, of course, is our presidential nominee this year. Uh, and 
I helped pull together a couple people for Youth for Brown Jorgensen, and we handed out flyers door to door, telling people. I remember what they were called. They were who Who is Harry Brown? Was the name of the flyer we put together because uh, we wanted to provide people with the answer to that question. And then uh, San Diego Libertarians. I mean, we were very determined to have an influence in the policy sphere because that the issues of the day in local politics back then were. How much are we going to subsidize the football stadium expansion? And how much are we going to subsidize the new ballpark? And how much are we going to subsidize the convention center expansion? Um, and uh, we didn't like any of those. And, and we, we were rabble rousers about that stuff and managed to force them to build the ballpark entirely with private funds, uh, managed to force them to scale back the how much public money they spent on the football stadium and really change the the way they looked at the convention center economics so that it wasn't just this white elephant that uh, cost endless amounts of money. I mean, it's still not profitable, certainly, but uh, the San Diego Convention Center, uh, they work really hard to make sure they get big events there. And if you think of mm-hmm. like big convention center events, a lot of them are in San Diego because they work really hard to do that uh, because we scared the bejesus out of them uh, if they kept asking for more and more public money. Um, Probably the one that I remember most fondly is a series of protests we did over one summer against the curfew law. Uh, I was a teenager at the time, and the curfew law uh, prohibited anyone under the age of 18 from being outside after 10 o'clock at night. And we thought that was bullshit. And so uh, a guy named Dave Doctor pulled together an organization called Libertarian Rock, and we got just a bunch of teenagers out with signs on prominent intersections every night until they changed the law. Um, and we, we weren't able to get it repealed, unfortunately, um, you know, adults. But they, uh, we were able to, uh, working with some lawyers, got a, a, a legal challenge to it on the grounds that it didn't have a First Amendment exception. So they had to add that in. So you, you can't be out unless you're exercising your First Amendment rights, in which case they can't stop you from being out. So we kept up the the demonstrations and started handing out stickers that say repeal the curfew, because if you're wearing those stickers while you're out late, then you're exercising your first amendment rights and they can't cite you for the curfew. Um, And MTV took notice of it and sent out a crew to do a series of interviews. We did a lot of local media and stuff. So those were my first media interviews uh, that I ever did at the age of uh, 16 at the time. And, uh, so that that was my kind of rabble rousing experience, and as mo- as many rabble rousers do, I went to UC Berkeley for college, um, which is a institution that radicalizes basically everybody that shows up. There. <laughs> so if you show up as a conservative, you become a, a kind of an ultra conservative. If you show up as a liberal, you leave as an ultra liberal, and if you show up as a libertarian, you leave as an ultra libertarian. And uh, uh, I was certainly very active in the college libertarians there, eventually becoming president of the chapter. And it's, you know, it was a fun time. We were always putting on events. We were handing out stuff on, on our Astral Plaza, which is the main kind of walkway that everyone passes through. Um, it's where I first met Tom Palmer, who uh, is now with the, or at the time was with the Cato Institute. Um, we brought him out to have a, a debate on globalization, which was certainly a hot topic in the late 90s. Uh, in, we were there for when we went into Afghanistan and Iraq. We were there for 9 11. And uh, so we, we helped organize some of the anti-war protests and uh, it was a fun time. And, you know, we, our chapter had 
minarchists and we had anarchists. And yeah, we talked about that stuff over beers now and then, but for the most part, we were working together to get stuff done, to get people knowing about libertarianism and to show that there was opposition to some of these consensus policies that, that were right. going, on, going on at the time. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a great time. Uh, big regret at, from the time is we weren't able to get Harry Brown to come speak to campus um, because the only way we could have really done that is if we had coordinated with other libertarian chapters uh, from other, other nearby schools. And uh, in these days, I mean, it was before Facebook, it was before uh, cell phone, you know, text messaging and all that. Um, you know, we kind of had the, 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 the dark ages. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, so we were kind of out of luck and there was nobody that we could really turn to for that. So many years later, after I'd moved to D.C., um, Students for Liberty was started for the first time. And I was really excited about that organization because uh, it filled a need that definitely existed at the time and probably still does exist today. And uh, actually ended up uh, serving as chair of their alumni board for two years, um, which was a fun experience. And. Uh, well, as I, as I mentioned, I moved to D.C. Uh, after college. Uh, I helped First, I helped recall the governor of California. I was part of that little effort. And, and then, <laughs> no big deal. Casual. No big deal. Recall and, the uh, governor. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then moved to D.C., uh, started a, a, did some think tank work and, and policy work, and I've worked a couple places, did a very, very brief stint in my only government job I'll ever have in my lifetime, and then... Uh, Ended up uh, going to law school um, and then landing at a uh, tax think tank. I'd never really been interested in tax stuff before. Um, I'm definitely not a numbers person. Um, it's you know hard for me to, to count to ten sometimes, figure out tips and things like that. But I, uh, you know, it really spoke to me because tax issues in many ways are constitutional issues. Mm -hmm, uh, if sure. you hear about a tax case in front of a Supreme Court or a state court, it's you're dealing with interstate commerce issues. You're dealing with due process and equal protection and self-incrimination. And, uh, you know, it's a way for me. So I, I, I kind of stumbled in a way for me to practice constitutional law without uh, really, you know, without it seeming like it. Right. And uh, right. built up a a little program filing briefs uh, with an organization called the tax foundation. And then their state policy program was going through some issues. So I kind of got seconded over to that. And after a couple of years ended up becoming one of the nation's foremost experts on state tax policy. And, you know, I try not to, I try, I'm actually, believe it or not, a very humble person. So it's, it actually makes me uncomfortable to talk a lot about myself. But, you know, other people have said I'm a foremost expert on it. And I have testified <laughs> to 36 state legislatures and testified to Congress six times on the topic and written like 80 papers uh, on, on state tax policy. And I think uh, that classifies you as an expert, Joe. It's okay to say. Yeah. So <laughs> then I got stolen by a law firm to advise clients for a little bit. And then I've uh, now left that law firm uh, on very good terms. It's a great law firm, uh, if you're a lawyer. And then uh, I'm now at the National Taxpayers Union Foundation, which is about a 50-year-old organization that is represents taxpayers' interests in all sorts of different fields. Uh, and my task when they hired me is to set up a litigation program where I get to sue the IRS and state tax authorities over and over and over again. And <laughs> it's every so libertarian's dream. It is. And, and so that's what I'm in the midst of setting up now. And uh, um, no, it's, I, I mean, I, it's something that 
is very daunting to a lot of people, obviously. Uh, I, I work with a lot of taxpayers, obviously, over the years, and anybody gets that letter from the IRS in the corner there, I mean, the gut reaction is is sweats and fear and, you know, make this go away and what are they going to do to me? And, and, and that's really unfortunate uh, that we've got a an arm of the U.S. government that has that reaction from people yes. and, and honestly for good reason knowing they're uh, i'm intimately familiar with their abuses and their inefficiencies and the terror that they unleash on a fairly routine basis your average person has no idea yeah um but you know it's i'm certainly eager to take them on uh, more than i have already i've already um uh, kind of on a, on the side done a lawsuit seeking a 170 million dollar refund on behalf of paid tax preparers so we've won at one level. It's on appeal right now. We'll see how it goes. Um, and, you know, somebody, uh, you, you talked about the campaign a little bit. I mean, somebody asked me, um, does it, you know, does the negative stuff or the people attacking you or whatever uh, phase you at all? And my, my response to that is, is, is two things. One, um, I mean, we're all libertarians. I mean, it, we're, we're a family. And even within the party, you know, sometimes we'll get heated at each other. Yeah. But ultimately, we come together when we need to come together. And so I kind of take all that stuff in stride. But, you know, more more to the point, uh, I've gone through a day long deposition with the IRS where they had a team of lawyers on the other side of the table in front of them. Every piece of paper I've submitted to the federal government on anything. And they asked me a day of questions about all of that. And, you know, I can go through that. Uh, everything else is child's play. <laughs> so. Right. Well, and, and so now, yeah, see, now you're obviously, <laughs> yeah, I'd say now obviously you're leading the charge as the new chair. And, and that's something that, I mean, I think might be one of the biggest feathers on your cap right now is because now you have a chance to take over, I say take over, really refocus, I say, the, the third largest political party in the United States at a point in time in American history where I think a lot of voters, and, and I know this was kind of what we were saying in 2016, but I think it's actually really true right now. A lot of voters are awake because, I mean, right now, people are on lockdown in some way, shape or form. You know, people either they their jobs are currently furloughed or they're, you know, they're just on hiatus. They're kind of in this netherworld. Everybody kind of this netherworld since March, basically. Um, yeah. But right now, everybody's hyper focused. Everybody's hyper aware of what's going on. You see the George Floyd murder and you see that the protests and riots across the United States, people, they know what's going on right now, which I mean, I'm glad people are aware and actually paying attention to what's happening in the world, especially, you know, it's happening in their backyard and it's impacting people that they you know live in and work with every single day. But right now people are looking at Trump and Biden and they're thinking, this is it. This is what we're being offered. And I mean, I've seen yeah. people from my home county, which my home county is by no stretch, you know, any any place I would give any you know well wishes to libertarians, Democrats, socialists, like anybody that's to the left of what they would consider, you know, Ronald Reagan, God, basically. Um, They're not even going to give a second thought to. But I've seen people from my home area saying like, hey, this George Jorgensen lady, she's interesting. Like she knows what she's talking about. But then I go to the chair race. Right. And it it seemed that at. That's, I don't know. I'd say pretty much from the point that the chair race started off again after the 2018 um, election, it was Josh basically saying he's going to run again. And then Nick was kind of up in the air. Now, I'm not going to say that, you know, I, I've been a, a big fan of Nick. And actually, I've been probably one of his larger um, voices against him because I think he's there's sure. some things that he did tactically, um, you know, picking fights with people. I just I, there's a lot that left me to be desired. And I looked when I was looking for the next chair. I guess the number one thing I had to ask, and I'm going to you know, ask you flat out, is kind of what do you think 
Joe, is the role of the chair. It, it, would you see yourself kind of being more of this unifying figure that's actually going to try to build coalitions, kind of like you're talking about what you were doing back in, in you know, in, in college? Um, or do you kind of see what Nick was doing as something that maybe does have merit in the party? You know, trying to, you know, poke the bear every now and then with some, some more prominent people in libertarian politics, trying to make sure that we're quote unquote staying on message, being more quote unquote inclusive. I know there's a lot of things that Nick was trying to say that he would, the reason he would do certain things, but I guess I would want to see just in your perspective, I guess, sure. what, what do you think is the best way for the chair to kind of, you know, promote, pro, I guess promote liberty, but also in your case, it's going to be, be utilizing that, that chair power and, and trying to lead the party to a better tomorrow. <laughs> that chair power. I know, right? I'm, uh, <laughs> so, I'm in the Libertarian Party because I think it's important that we elect libertarians and win and achieve public policy. Um, there are a lot of great libertarian organizations out there. I've worked with probably all of them at some point in my career to date. Um, and they're all important, but none of them have the mission of electing libertarians to public office. We're the, right. we're the only game in town on that. Yeah. And, and so I, I don't take that lightly. Um, you know, the only reason many Americans, most Americans are going to have a third option on the ballot this November between, uh, you know, two senile old men and Joe Jorgensen. Uh, the only reason Joe's on the ballot is because of the Libertarian Party and all of our activists who are working hard and have worked hard to make that happen. Um, so I view the role of the chair as facilitating that direction and making sure that we're making progress towards it. Uh, we're a 49 year old political party. But in many ways, we're still in startup mode. Um, you know, pick your issue uh, in terms of vote totals or in terms of ballot access or in terms of data. We've made incredible progress, but um, I think every libertarian understands we can do so much better. And right now, you know, there's 8,000 state legislators across the United States, and not one of them is a libertarian. Um, there's 435 members of Congress. We have Justin Amash. But uh, we, you know, he desperately needs reinforcements and, and we need many more people up there. And uh, I'm truly somebody that thinks that uh, if we had, I don't know, a dozen, 15, 20 libertarians in the United States Senate, we could dramatically change public policy for the better, blocking bad things and advancing good things. So I didn't, I didn't even say, you know, certainly if we had a majority, we could do that. But I, I honestly think if we just had that it would be so dramatically better. And, um, you know, so how do you get that? You elect a, a decent number of people to the U.S. House. And how do you do that? You elect state legislators and uh, people to state offices. Local. And and then how do you get there? You elect people to local offices, build up the farm team, build up the expertise, people knowing how to knock on doors and phone bank and be, be campaign treasurers and all of these millions of little things. Um, it's, it's not a magical solution. It's not a one size fits all solution. It's not a snap your fingers solution. I get that. It's hard work by literally tens of thousands of people over a prolonged period of time. Um, but there are things the chair can do to help facilitate that. Uh, part of it is priority setting. You know, we, we are, we fundraise and the organization, there's a lot of very generous libertarians all over the country who share this vision that want to see a change in public policy and they trust us with uh, large amounts of, of money and I'm hoping to make it larger amounts of money uh, once we demonstrate that we're good stewards of it and we're turning them into victories. Um, part of it is providing support. Um, so many so many times, you know, I traveled to 30 different states to attend libertarian state conventions over the two years 
that I was an at-large member of the ONC, and then it's part of the campaign. And so often I hear about people having to reinvent the wheel, activists and and state chairs, and uh, and, and you know instead of learning from best practices from each other, not really hearing about them and having to do it themselves and figure it out. And I, I was a state chair, I was chair of the DC party and had to do that too. Um, we can fix some of those things uh, by providing best practices, providing, uh, all right, you're a state chair, uh, congratulations, here's everything you need to know. Or you right. wanna you wanna put on an event in April, what are, what are ideas of, that other people have tried that have turned out well that you could do for an event on April? You know, not forcing stuff to people to do stuff, but providing information and opportunities and and resources. And this is something that that we can very easily do if we have some of the focus uh, in order to be able to do it. And so that's that's primarily what I talked about on the campaign, and uh, obviously found a fairly receptive audience to it. Um, I've I've taken organizations out of startup mode and and made them successful. Uh, the programs that I've talked about earlier. Uh, I mean, I, I took them over when they had a handful of people and a very small budget and, and took them to, to a point where they could they were having real serious impact. Um, I think most libertarians, you know, they certainly value that we are a principled party and that we um, we've got a, a community and that we're uh, we're we all, we all kind of know each other and we, we have an impact. Um, I, I just want to layer on uh, victories on top of that. Well, let me ask, actually, let me ask you that. We're electing folks. Yeah, because that that actually goes to perfect segue, um, honestly, Joe, because that that really goes into where I think this is the the golden question right now, and that is, what's the best way, I guess, to help bring the libertarian infrastructure that is the libertarian national committee, and best utilize that the the efforts of the LNC with the efforts of the community and by that I mean and, and let's I don't think it's it's too unfair to say that like the libertarian party I would say the marketing arm and the the outreach arm is substantially lacking and I'm not trying to poke fun I know we're we're you know we're number one we have a stack deck against us I get that and I know that we we have to really go against a lot of preconceived notions a lot of mischaracterizations so that's that's hard uh, you know number one but I would look and say if you look at the just plethora of libertarian or liberty leaning podcasts or organizations uh, organizations that are out there I would say that the Libertarian Party has to look no further than its own backyard in its community for different voices. And, and one of the benefits, I would say, of that community is in those voices, you're going to have people from all different means of political thinking. You're going to have the Tom Smiths, yep. or Tom Smiths, the, the Tom Woods and the Dave Smiths, but you're also going to have the, the Chris Spangles and, the, and you're going to have the, um, you know, the Ryan Lindsay's. You're going to have the, the Brian Nichols yep. and the Remzo Martinez's. You're going to have the Mark Clares and you're going to have the Johnny Adams. So there's going to be yeah, many. I mean, you could talk for an hour listing. Exactly. Exactly. There. So um, I guess my question to you would be, how do we incorporate those voices best into the Libertarian Party in, in terms of actually having those voices be leveraged as uh, almost like marketing arms, if you will, for the Libertarian yeah. Party to best reach the people that are actually listening to these shows? Because, I mean, I'll, I'll finish with this. We know for a fact there are hundreds of thousands of libertarian podcasts that are downloaded every single month. I mean, we see it across the board at We Are Libertarians, Lions of Liberty. We see it over, you know, with uh, Jason Stapleton, Tom Woods, all, all the podcasters. We know people are downloading these shows. They're listening. But then, you know, obviously we, we see 
that, you know, during the presidential elections, we get the, the, the third party vote, but where are those voters during the, the off years? Where are they during the, the local elections? Where are they during the state elections? And how do we get them to be motivated to actually keep returning to us? And I'd say a part of it comes to those people who are actively listening and people who are actively engaged in our, our world that we need to motivate to get them to move forward. And I think part of the problem has been, <laughs> I didn't mean that on purpose, but part of the problem is, you know, shows like part of the problem, they, they do have issues with their audience. They look at, you know, people like Nick and Nick, I'm just going to say it. Nick was, you know, throwing stones at people like Tom and like, like Dave that did create, I think, some schisms between the, the audience members who would, who should politically be on our side. And then the actual goal of the Libertarian Party in, in promoting libertarian policy from an electoral standpoint. So I guess how do we coalesce those two worlds and best make sure that we're getting the most out of both, you know, what the Libertarian Party is supposed to do, but also what the podcasting, marketing, sales arm, if you will, of the Libertarian Party movement has been doing so well on, on their end as well? Well, I got a couple answers for you. Um, one, I think, uh, you know, I don't view it as my job as chair is to promote podcasts. I view it as my job as chair to get people elected and to build the infrastructure to achieve that. Um, and I think that's important because uh, without people in elected office, um, we kind of lose sight of what we're here to do. And uh, so we end up fighting with each other or we get uh, caught up in other things other than uh, figuring out how to how to get that done. So, uh, you know, I think winning solves <laughs> some of these issues uh, because if we're if we're able to do that, then uh, honestly, we shouldn't have time to uh, do some of these internal fights and everything. It's just not my style to be throwing stones at fellow libertarian or fellow party members. Um, and my goal is not to try to like you know go right, no, through old wounds of the past either. Like that's the, that's not my vision the either. That the, the people that need the stones are the the Democrats and Republicans who are advancing bad policies and and trying to get more regulations and run stuff through Washington, D.C. and start more wars and all that stuff. Um, so, you know, I wish every angry Facebook post <laughs> or tweet <laughs> that people were were sending it, you know, directed towards those people. They're, they're the ones who deserve it, certainly. Um, more broadly, I think the plethora of voices, which you very aptly described, is a reason why uh, there really shouldn't be a one-size-fits-all direction or message from the chair, um, or really from anybody, uh, even from the presidential candidate. Um, it really should be up to our candidates to be framing the message uh, in a way that works best for the races that they happen to be in. So, for instance, I was a libertarian candidate for D.C. Attorney General, and the messaging that we came up with to reach reach voters uh, we ended up getting 8%, which is very good, more votes than Donald Trump got for president in the District of Columbia. Um, but the messaging we used for that was uh, very different from messaging that, uh, you know, Todd's going to use for the school board race in Oklahoma. And that should be the case. Now, it, all of the messaging should be principled and relate to the platform and introduce people to libertarian solutions and all of that. But within that broad framework, um, there's, you know, a lot of ways that, that you can, you can advance that. And I certainly don't want to get in the way of that. Uh, you know, if we got somebody that's saying anti-libertarian things, maybe that'll be an issue. But, uh, for the most part, it's, uh, we got to leave it up to our elected, our candidates and our elected officials to frame what we stand for. Um, you know, the, 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 the initiative that I'm really excited about and, you know, it kind of ties it all together is the Frontier Project out in the mountain west and our 
campaign officials uh, on, on staff looked through the data and they identified what districts had these kind of fat and happy incumbents that aren't going to see it coming, uh, that, that we could maybe knock off for a fairly small amount of media and, uh, and, and legwork. Uh, so the, these kind of small districts where you could make a big, you could make a media buy with a, a modest amount of money and you can deploy people to door knock and phone bank uh, in, a, in a fairly compact area. And they just happen to be mainly in the Mountain West. And uh, we were able to find good libertarians who are active in their communities and, uh, you know, eager to help do this. And, and we're running them. And uh, I, I think we're going to we're going to elect some people. And even the ones that we don't win, we're going to learn valuable lessons about how to do this right next better next time. Right. And in each of these races, people are learning how to message. People are learning how to phone bank and door knock. People are learning how to be candidates and be campaign managers and be treasurers and be field directors. And these are important skills because we, we, we've got a lot of excited people willing to help. Uh, we got a lot of people eager to be op-ed writers and eager to host podcasts and eager to uh, run for national chair. Uh, but we need we need more of a lot of other skills uh, and we need a lot of cross training and all of that. So, so true. <laughs> uh, that's going to be where a lot of my focus is going to be as chair. So let's uh, let's as we're getting ready to wrap up here. I, I can't believe we're already at the half hour mark. Um, but, Joe, I, I wanted to, to give you the chance here to kind of outline what we're going to say. You know, we're looking 2022. That'll be officially one one term, two ter- uh, two years as, as chair of the Libertarian Party. What do yeah. you think will be, um, you know, if you can look back after two years, what do you think you're going to say is going to be the things you're going to want to check off the list as successes of a Joseph Bishop henchman chairmanship for your first two years? Um, it would be nice to see some consensus in the party. Um, we've obviously had a very turbulent couple of years from a lot of different things. And then this year has been very turbulent. It's been turbulent for everyone in the world with the, the, the health crisis on top of, a you know, layered with an economic crisis layered with a public policy crisis layered with a political crisis. Um, so it, it's certainly been very tough for a lot of people, but, um, I'm conscious that there are wounds that need to be healed and, and differences that need to be overcome. Um, I would like to see us have some shared victories that we can all point to as something that we did together and have that be as a basis for, for further action later on. Um, and as a story I often told on the, uh, t- talking to state, uh, state conventions, um, the LNC, when I joined the LNC, the National Committee, it did not have a balanced budget. It was about $100,000 behind on credit cards and um, deficits as far as the eye could see. And so we had a two-day budget meeting in my first year. And, you know, I'm a freshman, so I'm waiting for somebody to stand up and say, uh, well, we can't do this for another year. We have to close this budget cap and make some hard choices. And, you know, there's these 15 things that we want to do, um, but our resources, you know, that outstrips our resources. So we need to, um, we need to do something different. And by the end of the first day, nobody had done that. And, um, so, so I, you know, we were on our way to probably what would have happened is the, we would have had to lay everybody off by uh, the fall of the next year if, if we hadn't changed what we were doing. Um, and I ended up, um, for whatever reason that evening, hanging out with, uh, a guy named Richard Longstreth, who is a also on the National Committee. Now, he's a radical. I'm a pragmatist. Our voting records up until that point were basically diametrically opposite on a lot of things. 
Um, we just have very different views on, on a lot of stuff, including party strategy. Um, but we both cared about a balanced budget. Um, you know, maybe for different reasons, but we both thought it important that the party not run out of money and close. So we ended and he's an auditor by trade. And then I've certainly run a lot of programs and I'm a tax nerd. So, uh, we, we went through the budget that night and came up with a list of cuts to, you know, make sure that all the essentials kept on going, but haircutting everything a little bit in a, in a non-major way in order to balance the whole thing. And we honestly thought, um, you know, we'll present this tomorrow morning, but we're both freshmen. It'll probably fail two to 15, but at least we will have tried. We're not just sitting there and saying no, but not contributing to a solution. Um, so we presented it the next day and it took most of the day to work through it, but we, uh, it passed. And that's how the LNC balanced its budget. And we've had balanced budgets ever since. Um, and, you know, Richard and I, we still don't vote together all that often on other stuff, but uh, we've been through battle together after that experience. And when radicals need a pragmatist perspective, they go through Richard, through me, to the pragmatists. Or when pragmatists need a radical perspective, they go through me, through Richard, to the radicals. And, uh, you know, that was at first. Now now we've, like, connected so many more people that a lot better conversations are happening over time. And 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 he and I and other pairs of people uh, with similar stories after uh, after that have been able to achieve uh, some some great stuff. And it's not it's it's really not surprising when you think about it because libertarians are natural coalition builders. We don't we don't even think about that about ourselves, but we are. We understand the right in a way the left never will. We understand the left in a way the right never will. Which is why I think a handful of libertarians in any government representative body will be a game changer because we can we can bring them together when we can want to and we can keep them apart when we want to um so if we can continue making inroads on that kind of stuff i think it'll you know you know i hope to you know do x with with this program and do that with y program and 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 all that i've you know the, those are the stuff that's keeping me up to up up at night all the times but uh i will consider this a success if uh, people look back on this as the time that we started working together a little bit more and started uh, achieving stuff together. That's what we're looking forward to. I know that, uh, hey, you know, at right now, I think I'm speaking for all sides of the, the, the you know, I guess the debate, the, the, the team, I guess here, we're all play different positions, it seems like. But you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I saw Michael Heiss and Josh, they're saying like, hey, you know, you deserve a fair shake. You were not your predecessor. You know, this is that the hen Bishop Henchman, you know, you're, you're overseeing this new era and it's a chance now for you to really set your mark. So with that being said, Joe, obviously, you know, you, you, you have a, a platform here to always reach uh, the, the audience and make sure that you're making sure you're getting your point across. So with that being said, also, I want to make sure folks can find you. Um, so Mr. Chairman, where can they go ahead and find you on social media so they can stay up to date with all the other uh, happenings in uh, the new uh, Bishop Henchman chairmanship? Well, I'm on Facebook and Twitter, of course. I've got a little Facebook group where I let everybody know what the LNC is up to. Um, and you can certainly email me anytime. I have a new email address. It is chair at lp.org. And then Ethan and I, of course, are big friends. We are libertarians and, and all the work that uh, that you guys do there. So uh, thank you so much for uh, having me on. Alrighty, folks, so that's going to wrap up my conversation with the chair of the Libertarian Party, the new chair, Joe Bishop 
henchman. It was a blast, a great chance to learn more about Joe's vision, but also a chance to uh, get to learn more about Joe as a person. So if you guys enjoyed the episode, please, of course, uh, do me a favor. Number one, share with family and friends, especially for uh, folks who are maybe in the Libertarian Party and they're trying to learn who this new chair is. Well, this is a great, uh, great opportunity for them to get to know Joe, um, but also to learn uh, what to look forward to here uh, for the Libertarian Party moving forward for at least the next two years. Um, but also, folks, if you could do me a favor, go ahead and tag me on social media at Liberty on Twitter, Facebook, and Minds.com. If you haven't yet, send me an email, Brian at Brian Nichols Show, especially when you have some awesome guests in mind. And you guys, again, I, I've said it once, I'll say it again, you've suggested so many awesome guests, many of whom you've heard here on the show. Um, and, and again, keep it coming, because that's how I'm going to be able to keep awesome guests appearing on the show at, at the Frequent, which has seemingly been a reoccurring theme here on the Brian Nichols Show. And actually, uh, in, in continuing with said theme, um, number one, if you guys had not had the chance yet, oh, I say that because it hasn't aired yet, coming at three o'clock today, um, as I say this on Friday, um, the 24th, you will have a chance to hear a special bonus episode uh, with Fritz from FritzCast, um, where I had Fritz join the show. Fritz is a, a dear friend, and it was a great chance to learn more about him and his show, and I think a great chance for you guys to, to learn more about Fritz if you had not yet heard about him um, or his show. It's a great podcast, FritzCast, so number one, go ahead and check out that episode with Fritz, um, but also go ahead and give his show a subscribe, but right after that, go ahead and give my show a subscribe. Apple Podcast, number one, rate and review. Hit the subscribe button, notifications, so you know whenever we have a brand new episode come out, which is almost always going to be a Friday at 6 a.m. Eastern Time, but just in case, for whatever reason, hit the subscribe button just so you are always staying up to date uh, with all the happenings here at The Brian Nichols Show, because, you know, at The Brian Nichols Show, we're fast-paced. We have guests coming on all the time, and sometimes I have more guests than I can handle. Um, So right now, I I will confess, I do have a couple episodes they are waiting in the wings, but they'll they'll be coming out here in the next week or so. Um, So pay attention for that. Keep hitting the refresh button on your podcast catcher. But with that being said, guys, I'm tired. It's been a crazy week. A lot of great podcasts coming uh, up for you guys, but also a lot of great podcasts for you guys to look back and listen to. Um, so with that being said, guys, it was a blast. Thank you for joining us here in The Brian Nichols Show. But signing off for Chair of the Libertarian Party, Joseph Bishop Henchman. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.